The Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network presents Setting the Record Straight, where various Christian Reconstructionist pastors seek to understand and dissect the issues that are plaguing the church today, from the pulpit to the pew. I'm going to read a passage of scripture this morning. Um, in Hebrews chapter 10. You want to turn your Bibles. Hebrews chapter 10. But it's going to be a short little passage. And we're going to start in verse 19. And it has to do with what we're going to be talking about over the next few weeks. So it's kind of one of those uh, those things to to learn and to, to kind of put to heart. Um, because it's going to have multiple sides to this. It's going to have multiple... Uh, shouldn't say multiple sides, but it's going to have, uh, we're going to have different topics that we're going to discuss. We're also going to be talking about different passages of scripture, different areas of scripture. And we're going to, the, what I titled this, this, uh, sermon series is called churchology, which I'll get to that in a second, but Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19 through 25, it says, therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from, in, from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who had promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir one up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Let's pray, and then we're, we're going to start this morning. Uh, dear God, we do thank you for this day. We thank you that... Regardless of the time, Lord God, regardless of the situations of life, Lord, we can come together. And that, Lord God, you've provided us a time where we can even come together in our homes, apart from one another, and, Lord, still receive your word and, Lord, to receive instruction. Lord, then we have opportunity for having conversations later. Lord, I pray that you just continue to edify and build our little congregation up. And that, Lord, that you would uh, speak to us. And uh, use us mightily. Lord, our, our prayers that you will grow us, Lord God, both spiritually and numerically, Lord, is according to your will. Lord, as we continue to remain faithful, and Lord, as we uh, and fulfill your, the work you have for us. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Today, I just want to give an introduction. It's going to be very short. I only have about about two pages of notes, which is not really much at all. Um, part of it is a very extended, long quote, and, and, and I don't have a problem using this quote because I wanted to set the stage for how people look at what church is and what church is not, and or what the church is and what the church is not. And as I said, I titled this Churchology, The People and Purpose of God. 
Now, I know I've talked about uh, I've talked about the church. We've talked about the foundation of the church, and, and it seems like it would be beating a dead horse. But it's not for the sake of beating a dead horse. But what it amounts to is is how we see ourselves in this as individuals, not necessarily just as uh, as the whole. And that's what I want to talk, not as, a, not as just a group of people, but how we see ourselves as individuals, first and foremost, and our responsibility. But also, how we see ourselves as individuals also determines how we respond corporately or a, as a, a group of people to one another. And um, I think Scripture is very clear about that aspect. And so today I just want to give an introduction and of what we'll be discussing in the next few weeks. And to begin, the word for the sermon is sermon series is churchology, which it really does not exist. There's no such word as churchology, but for the fun of what my our learning pleasure, I, I I decided I'd put it there. Ultimately, there are multiple ways to define what we'll be discussing, disgusting, disgusting, such as the word ecclesiology, ecclesiology, which ultimately is the doctrine of the church. So instead of saying ecclesiology, I said churchology because it's the doctrine of the church and what we're learning. Um, but my intentions with the sermon series is to take on this topic from the standpoint um, of a local church fellowship slash gathering from really a home church perspective uh, or home church structure rather than the brick and mortar buildings that so many usually assume. I'll give you an example. I went for a class yesterday. And I happened to mention that I was a pastor, and everybody immediately said, what church do you... I said I was a pastor a pastor of a church in Sweden. They're like, well, which church do you pastor? And I had to say, well, Christ's Covenant Church. And they're like, I've never seen that church before. And I said, well, there's a reason why you've never seen that church before. It's because we don't have a building. We meet in my home. And it usually is followed by, oh... And so, um, which takes some time to explain. And so, I, what I wanted to do today as we start off, I want to kind of give a, a um, kind of a testimony of where Christ Covenant Church started and where we are now. And it's really just a brief overview. For many people... They when they might look on a, a video or so forth, and they'll see either me standing behind it with a backdrop of some sort. And I had a pastor go, "Man, I love your church background." And I said, "Well, that's my living room." So he's like, "What? That looks like you get, that that looks like a a nice backdrop." And I said, "No, it's my living room." And sometimes you'll see me now in the videos. You'll see a mirror behind me, and it says, "As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord." Well, that's an entry slash kind of into our, our living room, and for those who are who might not have known that. But I want to underst- want people to understand that we are, when I say Christ Covenant Church, all of us in my family right here around the table and those who are watching from the church today, um, they know that we're a small congregation, we're a small gathering, we're just a few families. Um, others might think have considered it as being that we were a larger church or a small church with a building. 
But I want to kind of tell you, kind of share with how we became who we are now and as we move forward to explaining why I want to do this from a home church perspective. And even if, if God grants us in the future that we have enough people, we're able to buy maybe a building or a neighbor's property or something where we're able to use these things, um, we still want to have a perspective um, that, is, that is tied closer to the early church. And my hope is that we will always be able to have that type of fellowship and not as much of a, a, not as much of a high church setting in that form. But where Christ Coming to Church came from is um, we were, I guess it was August of 2004, we started with a, we moved to Alvin, Texas, <coughs> and before all of my kids except one were born, we were pregnant with Aaron, our oldest boy, who's now fixing to be 14. So it always gives me a time when I know we moved in. So about 14 years ago, we moved to Alvin and to begin pastoring a, uh, a Southern Baptist church, and um, it was a small, me, smaller, medium-sized Southern Baptist church. And as time went along, as things occurred, um, some some different questions regarding doctrine came up, and um, and, and beyond. And uh, as we did, we went from being a Southern Baptist church, still being considered a Southern Baptist church, to a Reformed Baptist church, meaning we held to the doctrines of grace. Um, and what that means is the, the the five points of Calvinism, if you want to call it that. We'll talk about that in a moment. But then we moved from there as we continued on, and we continued studying, and we we moved to a place that we, uh, we began in our to go down a, a path regarding... Uh, reformed theology toward more of a Presbyterian view or a more full, uh, more covenantal view. And as we moved along, we we abandoned the Baptist side of that, and we, because of different things, we changed our name and um, became Christ's Covenant Church for our covenant understandings, and beyond that, just as we continue to grow. So over the last, over the last years, um, our membership dwindled, and I could say it could be, it could be partly because of myself. It could be because of the doctrine we're teaching. But honestly, it was no longer the self-help. It was no longer easy way to get saved. It was no longer um, a doctrine or a gospel that was being preached that was simply believe and one day you get rescued out, but rather there was a greater responsibility. And as we continued on, um, we had fewer and fewer people. And we get to a place where um, we had buildings and we had a little bit of land, but we had um, not enough income. And so not only for myself going by vocationally, I ended up going full-time working outside the church, um, but also still the ability to pay the bills and to keep up with that our church decided that we would sell the properties, and in that that part, we were we wanted to find a location um, that was close to all of us. And long story short, instead of it not necessarily was close to all of us, but it's close enough to the ones all those who are attending. Um, currently, we moved to Sweeney, Texas, and for a short period of time, we met in a building 
but once again, we did not want to be held down by bills and responsibilities along those lines because finances were always um, finances in a small congregation, a small group um, is a little more difficult. So we started meeting in my home and we've been meeting in our home for quite some time now. And uh, the difference between a home church setting and, and I guess you could say a church mortar, brick and mortar setting is, well, it's a little bit more free. It's a little bit easier. Sometimes it's a little, it's more relaxed and sometimes too relaxed. But when we look at this, I want us to understand that we've gone from a place of um, we do a lot of the similar things and we don't even have to do a lot of them. We don't have to come like today. We did not start off with saying, church, what do you believe and do the Apostles' Creed? It's not necessary for us to do so in order for us to be a church. But especially when we have others who gather with us who we um, who maybe come from a different setting or a different group or different belief, it's a lot. The Apostles' Creed is a creed where it allows us to say these are things we can agree upon and we can meet together based upon that. We usually have songs, as everyone here usually knows, but we don't have to have music to have a church gathering. Um, we can have scripture reading, and we can do all these things, but ultimately, when we're talking about churchology, or what is the church, or the doctrine of the church, it's more important for us to understand who the people and the purpose of God, who are the people of God, and what is the purpose of God for His people. And so... When I talk about this testimony of our church, I've left out a lot of details that are not necessary. Um, a lot of struggles, um, a lot of things uh, along those lines. But when we look at what the church is, um, if the church is a if a church is a business or a church is a an organization, and the 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 goal for that organization or that business is numbers. Or financial income, that if that's what we're looking at, then Christ's covenant church is a failure. Um, but if we're looking at the purpose of the church and what we are to be and who we're to be, we're we are making steady steps towards what God has called us to be. So today, I'll say this, I'll start off with this. How we define the church and its function is, de is determined by our worldview. I don't have notes today, but if you have a chance to write that down, I'll say it again. How we define the church and its function is determined by our worldview. And see, when we define things, including doctrine and the things of God and His church in light of who we are, then we have adopted a form of uh, a form of humanism. It, we're we're balancing all the things of God, or we're trying to equate all the things of God and all the things of the local church in line with us, and that's humanism. In doing so, we render the church as we know it is impotent, I mean without power. But when we do define all things, including the doctrine and the things of God and the church in light of Christ. <coughs> who He is, what He has done, and what He has called us to, then we see the power of God displayed. As I said, we're going to have a very short message this morning, 
various sense, but I want to read, and, and I'm not going to be quoting Rush Denny through all, all this. I'm just telling you all that now. I want to quote this thing. This is what began to spur me on um, as we began. Uh, why I wanted to, One of the reasons why I wanted to go this direction and talk about this. I read this, and it's a little bit lengthy. It's not the longest quote I've ever read, but in his introduction, uh, in the Systematic Theology, in his introduction to the doctrine of the church, this is what he wrote. Not even It's not all of it, it's just part of it. But here's the thing, it's just, here, listen carefully, it is pretty much the whole thing. Two of the problems in much theological discussion are reductionism and abstractionism. These two are closely related. Reduction, reductionism reduces the richness of biblical faith to a few articles of faith. And abstractionism separates the context of life from biblical faith to give it some abstract ideas as the essence of the faith. Okay, I want you to listen closely as I read this because he's going to talk about what the difference between reductionism and abstractionism is. For Greek philosophy, both reductionism and abstractionism were intellectual necessities. The meaning of history was sought in abstract ideas, and both life and meaning were reduced to those ideas. This method was adopted by the church. Two examples of this can be, be cited. More than a few men have defined Calvinism in terms of the famous five points. Again, the true church is defined in terms of 1. Faithful, pre uh, faithful preaching of the word. 2. The biblical administration of the sacraments. 3. Godly discipline by the church. And C. John Miller, he says, has wisely added another, the fruits of the Spirit. As brief definitions, both have their merits. As a form of shorthand theology, a case can be made for both. Definitely, I do not favor their abolition means he doesn't favor the doing away of those definitions but simply an awareness of their limitations and dangers that's why he's writing five-point calvinism represents an important development of the implications of god's sovereignty and is in this respect in the mainstream of theological development however contemporary five-point calvinism has reduced the faith too often to these abstractions and lost all the power and vitality of Calvinism on the social scene. You see what it talks about? They make it all about salvation, and God's predestination, and His glorification, and all those things, but then they don't take God's sovereignty and the move of God, and they don't want to what? They don't apply it to society, or social culture, or work, or anything else. It does not speak to the problems of the day. The same is true of the definition of the church. A correct church is not necessarily a living church. People buried in a cemetery commit no actual sins, but they are irrelevant to history. Consider the case of the church in Corinth. It was marked by some gross problems, i.e. a case of incest, which was seen as a sign of Christian freedom. There were factions and divided loyalties, conflicts and lawsuits, associations with ungodliness, problems over the status of women, differences with respect to the gifts of the Spirit, doubts concerning the resurrection, disorders at communion services, and more. 
All the same, Paul does not deny them the status of a church, although none of the familiar marks of the true church characterized Corinth. Think about those four marks about the preaching of the word and all those kind of things. They messed up everything. Thus, uh, sorry, it said Corinth, however, had a quality lacking in many correct churches today. The ability to grow in grace and knowledge. Thus, the traditional and useful definition of a true church does not fit Corinth. And the same could be said, said of new, other New Testament churches. There's another problem, the word church. Our English word comes from the Greek adjective uh, kyriakos, as used in the kyriakondoma, the house of the Lord. It refers to a building primarily, and also to a historical institution. The Greek word is translated, translated for church is, does anybody know? Ekklesia, right? The word ecclesia, the Greek text of the Septuagint, ecclesia is used essentially for the Hebrew word gahal, which means the assembly of the called of God, or the called out ones. Thus, the church is more than just the local building and congregation. It's not just the brick and mortar. The term is closer in meaning to the kingdom of God. It is reference to the called people of God in all their work together for the Lord. As a result, Bannerman pointed out the older Reformed divines began their treatises on the doctrine of the church with Revelation 17:14. These shall make war with the Lamb, and the Lamb shall overcome them, for he is the Lord of lords and King of kings, and they that are with him are called and chosen and faithful. In terms of this, Bannerman and others have seen the beginning of the church in the calling of Abraham. However, there's no reason to defer the origins of the church to Abraham. In a very real sense, the church was created with Adam and Eve. And with their calling, there's some great merits in seeing the origin of the church in Eden because the church is not then an afterthought nor something established to cope with sin, just as some have seen the origin of the state and the fall of men and hence as a work of negation rather than an order of whose purpose is God's law, his righteousness enforced and maintained, neither church nor state can be reduced to God's answer to sin. Luther saw the state as God's hangman. All too many have seen the church as God's chaplain standing by the gallows. If we see the calling of the state as justice and that of the church as the service of God's word and calling, we have more have a more positive and functioning doctrine. It must be noted in Eden. First, there was no call or summons to salvation because there was no fall as of yet. Since then, the church has had an urgent task of evangelization. Second, Adam and Eve were called into God's service. Their work was, in essence, dominion, Genesis 1, 26-28, knowledge, Genesis 2, 19, and holiness, Genesis 2, 16, and righteousness by means of works and obedience. Adam's calling was thus closely tied to the image of God in him so that we can say that the nature of the church is very closely related to the image of God in man. Thus, since the fall, the church has the task of redemption through Christ. Man must be restored into fellowship with God. This fellowship requires the restoration of man, first of all, into God's grace, salvation. Now, I want, to, I want us to—I know this is a long reading, but let, let's finish this up right here, and you'll hear what I'm why. The work then is the application of the aspects of God's image, righteousness, holiness, knowledge, and dominion to every everyone's area, every area of life. And thought. The church is God's armory 
for this purpose. The church issues God's draft or conscription call, trains the troops for action, and sends them out weekly to conquer in Christ's name. In such a view, the prophetic, royal, and priestly offices of man are given their due functions under God. Instead of precipitating a withdrawal from the world, the church then becomes the instrument by whereby all things are made known. Revelation 21.5 And so, I would say this. This is the reason why I read all that, and there's a lot there to break down, and I know that. <coughs> but even though the expression of our local church gathering is in home church form, we retain the name of Christ's covenant church. And some might ask why. Why do we call ourselves Christ's covenant church if all we do is we gather in a home? My, well, it may be most easily answered by saying the what gathers where. Christ's covenant church, a local gathering of the saints, gathers currently in my home. Well, why would you say Christ's Covenant Church, or why would you? Why did you know? Why is it necessary? If I said the church gathers in my home, someone's going to look at me very strangely. Correct? Don't you think? If I say, well, we have a group of people, a group of Christians gather in my home weekly, and we have we have church. What kind of church are you? And I can describe those things, but we have a name, and we had a name, and we are still Christ's covenant church we are a part of that and as god gives us more or god doesn't or if he chooses to do away with all we still are christ's covenant church and if someone says well where's your brick and mortar building we don't have a brick and mortar building we have one that's manufactured and brought in by clayton homes right now all right we live in sweeney texas we live in a home and we do gather together with other saints. See, our ultimacy is not in where we gather, but why we gather. And really, that's been the heart of of some of the things, some of the discussions I've had, I've watched others have, but also for us, it's not where we gather. We can gather anywhere. I have friends up in Virginia that they gather in a community center. Um, there are others like Jeff Durbin's church, who you know, Apologia Church. They they release another church building, or uh, or even for example, Scott Head's church. They lease from another church. They borrow another church building in other hours of the day, in order that they can meet. But as for right now, we're just not in the place where we financially should be sacrificing to the point that we'd have a building but have no usefulness for the kingdom of God. So, for right now, we find our ultimacy not in where we gather, but why we gather. And that's really the focus of where we need to be. We are to be the people of God, and as, as it said, we are to be the, the armory of God's purpose. We're to be trained, armed, and sent out. And it doesn't matter if the, the place you gather is brick and mortar. It doesn't matter if you have a you know a church that does three or four songs every Sunday, two hymns, two choruses, or whatever you want to call it. It doesn't matter if your church has a pastor that's expository preaching 
or if he is uh or if he's doing more than that or doing three points in a poem it doesn't matter to me as long as god's word is being preached and that the people being not just encouraged but the people of god are being trained that the people of god are being edified built up and sent out to build the kingdom of god i i, I have two scriptures today <clears throat> And one is the theme that has been our theme for Christ Covenant Church from the very beginning. And that's found in Ephesians 4. And Paul writes to the church at Ephesus, he says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body... And one spirit, just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. See, when we come together, it doesn't matter if someone was a Baptist, it doesn't matter if they're a Presbyterian, it doesn't matter if they were Lutheran, it doesn't matter what your background is. The main issue that comes to us is when we gather, do we gather in unity of the spirit of the bond of peace? And when we come to that, that's why we use the Apostles' Creed, a basic creed, a basic understanding for what we believe. It's the reason why we say those things. And if we can gather together under that banner, if you want to say we can gather under the banner of that unity of the spirit of the bond of peace, recognizing that there is one body and one spirit, one calling, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God who Father of who is over all and in all and through all. When we understand that, we can gather together. We can not only learn from God's word, but we can be mobilized for his purpose. And as we look at this, and, and for those who struggle um, with the home church setting, which I, I personally, I'll say this, I have struggled with the home church setting. And my, my part of that is, as you have to understand, um, for over 22 years, I've been a part of really going on 25 years in doing part-time ministry or internship and so forth. Using in leadership, I've been 25 years of I'd been doing most of that time a form of organized church in a brick and mortar building. I know what the scripture says, and that's why I want to read this passage of scripture. I think that what we see today might be the norm for today, but it hasn't always been. We look at church history, and we know that it hasn't always been the norm. And this is going to be one of the launching places for us. And the purpose of the church. In Acts 2 verses 42 through 47. It reads. And they devoted themselves to the apostles teaching. And the fellowship. To the breaking of the bread. And the prayers. And all came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. 
see, it's not, it, it, we could stop there, and we could say, ah, oh, it's, it's just, a, it's a simple thing. There's more to it than that, and we're not going to break it completely down today. But it says, all who believed, verse 44, and were together, all who believed were together, had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any, any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. We can look at it and we can look at what they did, how they devoted themselves. They didn't just devote themselves to the church building. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, the fellowship, the breaking of bread, the sacraments, the agape feast, if you want to talk, call it that, we're going to talk about that, and to prayer. So the teaching, the learning of God's word, the fellowship, the sharing of life together. True community. True community. Breaking of bread. Yes, they had a meal, but they also broke bread and communion together, remembering what Christ had done for them. Just as we do at the end of every service that we've had, we take communion. But we can do it as part of the meal as well. It's just harder to do that sometimes. When you have everyone gathered around, you can. You don't always have to, but you can. And also to prayer. Praying with one another, praying for one another. And I can even say that for our congregation, I believe we pray for one another privately, but we don't pray in unity together for the things of God and for the work that He has for us. And maybe that's something that we need to do. Not maybe, I think it's something we need to do. And we can spend that time because we have the opportunity to do so. So as we as we move forward, we start talking about the churchology and so forth. We're going to be looking at books like the book of Hebrews. We're going to be talking about Ephesians. We're going to be talking about the church in Acts. We're going to be talking about Titus. We're going to talk about Timothy and the roles that God gave there. There's going to be all these aspects that come in regarding churchology or ecclesiology or the doctrine of the church. But it's 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 applied. What can we do right now to make changes that are necessary? That not only do we call ourselves a church, but that we actually live as the church. And we'll talk about abuses. Yes, there are abuses to those things. We're going to talk about people's dogmas or regarding where you have to meet, why you have to meet. But we're going to do more than that. And as we break this out, I think it might help us. And also, my hope is that we will begin to, uh, my hope is that we'll begin to be more open to inviting others, not just talking about our church and with our friends, our coworkers, and so forth, but that we would actually invite people to come here and be a part of what God is doing. And allow that gospel and that word to transform them and their lives. And to build his kingdom and his church for his glory. Thank you for listening to Setting the Record Straight. Join us on Facebook at the Reconstructionist Radio Discussion Group. 
And don't forget to visit ReconstructionistRadio.com to listen to all of our podcasts and to download our free audiobooks. <laughs>